The following is a presentation of the Open Door Bible Baptist Church and Pastor Chris Tice. For more audio and video content, please check us out on the web at www.opendoornj.org. Mark chapter number two tonight. Mark in chapter number two. It's early, so it looks like you're going to get out early. We'll see. All right, Mark uh, chapter number two. And I want you to look at the first 12 verses. You don't have to stand tonight. We'll look at it together. Uh, but I want to uh, preach to you just a message on creative evangelism. We're, we're coming up to Easter, and uh, really, I want you to do this for me tonight. Every single one of us probably has somebody in mind that we'd love to see get saved. We'd love to see come to Christ. And that could be a relative, a family, a neighbor, a family member, a neighbor, uh, a friend, a co-worker. I want you to have that person in your mind tonight. And uh, really, I want you to just focus on that. And I want you to, tonight, uh, when we give the invitation, I want you to pray for that person. And uh, we're going to talk about creative evangelism. This is a text that I'm sure everybody's heard a message from, and I'm not trying to add something to it, maybe that you haven't heard, uh, but this is the message the Lord's laid on my heart tonight. And uh, why don't we look at the passage together. Mark chapter number two, verse number one, the Bible says, and again, he entered into Capernaum after some days, and it was noised. Uh, that he was in the house. We're not sure whether his house early on here in Capernaum or Peter's house. Uh, As a matter of fact, what we understand about the Middle East and that area um, is something similar to uh, when we were just in Africa. Uh, If you've not been abroad anywhere traveling, uh, you don't get it because here in America, if you walk up on someone's house, uh, you have the likelihood of getting shot at or yelled at or cursed at or uh, whatever. Uh, We're not as open and welcome Uh, to let people just come on our property. It's interesting because we live in one of the safest countries in the world, and we're less given to hospitality than most any other country uh, that's in the world. And so we are just opposed to having anybody, you know, on our property in our house. In Bible times, it's not much different than today in most third world countries, that if you come to someone's house, and this happened to us again and again, Glenn could give testimony to it, we walked up to their house, they would quickly go get some chairs, put them out in the front lawn. They didn't even know our names yet. We haven't even introduced ourselves, but because we're there, uh, they want to make sure that we feel welcome. And so they'll go get their only chairs. They'll sit you in your, their, their only chairs while they sit on the ground in the dirt. And uh, they want to hear, you know, whatever, why did you come to visit? And uh, it's a different kind of thing if you're not used to that. And if that happened here, we'd probably fall over dead. We're not used to people being so open and welcoming, and uh, it's a different, different world. And uh, maybe if you go further south a little bit, it gets a little bit more like that. But uh, even, even there, you know, there's still just these personal private zones, and we laugh a little bit. People have their garages. They pull in. They don't see their neighbors. We don't talk to anybody. We just kind of keep our head down, right? And uh, so we kind of live in a different world. But in Jesus' day, it was not uncommon. Uh, you didn't have to get an invitation to go to someone's house. If you wanted to go see someone, you just went to their house, and uh, you walked in, and you, you would visit them. You would walk right into their home, and uh, they heard that Jesus was here, whether in his home or Peter's home there in Capernaum, and, and uh, they just, just showed up. As a matter of fact, there were so many people that came into the house that there was not room in the house to receive any more, and so Jesus is in the house. In verse number two, notice, and straightway, many were gathered together. It doesn't say any invitation was given. They just came insomuch that there was no room to receive them. No, not so much as about the door. And he preached the word unto them. Don't you love how Jesus always, when people came to him, he always preached the word to them. He always had a, had a moment. And Jesus was great, a great example to us on 
going away from people. How many of you know there's a need for us to get away sometimes? There's a need for us to be still and to be quiet. And I know if I don't get away and if I don't come away for a while, it's not good for me. It's not good for you. We can't always be around people. Jesus went away. He went to wilderness places. He went to desert places to spend time with the Lord. But we do see in, in God's word that every time people did come together, Jesus was always concerned for them spiritually. And so this is no different. Jesus, he doesn't worry about how many people are there or what they're going to do with all the people. He just seizes an opportunity to give them the word. So he begins to uh, preach the word unto them. Verse 3, and they come unto him. Notice the people that came, uh, bringing one sick of the palsy, which was born of four. We call this in the Bible, the man born of four. And when they could not come nigh unto him for the press, for the amount of people that were there, they uncovered the roof where he was. And when, he had, uh, when they had broken it up, they let down the bed wherein the sick of the palsy lay. Now, this is not an American, you know, duplex. This is not an American, you know, high-low. This is uh, not a three-story, uh, you know, uh, building or whatever it is that we have a picture of a home. In the Middle East, most of the homes were flat roofs. They had stairwells uh, that would go up to the roof. It was not uncommon for the roof to be another place where they would open air and gather. And so it was not uncommon for people to go up the stairs and go on the roof. Uh, but these men saw an opportunity. Jesus is in the house. As a matter of fact, the kind of roof that they had, it would have been kind of easy for them to peel the roof back uh, to get him there. But we do see some creativity uh, in these men getting uh, these, uh, this man that they uh, cared for to Jesus. And uh, verse number five, notice this. It's an important part, part. When Jesus saw their faith. You see that? When Jesus saw their faith. He said in the sick of the palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. But there were certain of the scribes sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, Why doth this man thus speak blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God only? And immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they so reasoned within themselves, he said unto them, Why reason ye these things in your hearts? Whether is it easier to say to the sick of the palsy, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or say, Arise, take up thy bed and walk. And the interesting here is if there was any doubt as to who Jesus was and the fact that Jesus could forgive sins, this should have cleared it up for them. Jesus did not respond to any words that they said. Jesus responded to thoughts that they had. Uh, This should have just cleared it all up for them. Jesus was talking to them, and he was talking to what was in their hearts. He was talking to what was in their minds. They, in their own hearts and their minds, are saying, this is blasphemy. Uh, this, who, who is this man that he would be able to forgive sins? And, and Jesus was very, very specific on how he dealt with this man. Jesus dealt with his spiritual condition before he ever dealt with his physical condition. Uh, let's be honest tonight. As much as we'd love to see people physically healed, that healing someone physically is temporal anyway. Because even if we get healed physically, we understand that it's appointed on a man once to die. And a lot of times we think that's the end game with God. That God just needs to heal people. That God needs to make people healthy. That God needs to make people wealthy. That God needs to make everything right in people's lives. The greatest thing that God can do in someone's life, the greatest miracle, is forgiveness. I mean, I want you to think about that that tonight. There's no other miracle that's greater than forgiveness. Forgiveness is the greatest miracle that Jesus ever performed. It meets the greatest need. It, it costs the greatest price. It brings the greatest blessing. 
and it brings also the most lasting results. Forgiveness is the greatest miracle that Jesus could do in someone's life. And Jesus spoke to this man and to his spiritual need because when Jesus looked up, he saw the faith of those uh, men that carried the man and, and brought him and lowered him down. When Jesus looked down, he saw a man that was sick and uh, ab- above his ability, in his sickness, above his lack of ability, uh, there was a spiritual need. The Bible says Jesus saw his sin. Jesus saw that he needed to be saved. And so Jesus looked up and saw their faith. He looked down and saw the man that was uh, sinful. He looked around, and what did he see around? He didn't see great faith. He saw people who doubted him. He saw people who didn't believe on him. He saw people who didn't even think that he had the right to say to this man, thy sins be uh, forgiven thee. But Jesus still continued nonetheless. And notice he's not, uh, he's not uh, hindered uh, by their lack of faith. Jesus is still forgiving. Jesus is still forgiving this man. And notice he says to him, he says, is it easier to say to the sick of the palsy, thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, arise, take up thy bed and walk? But notice verse 10, but that ye may know that the Son of Man, that's very important. Jesus is saying, hey, listen, I'm God. I'm God. I'm the Messiah. I'm the one, the only begotten Son of God. I'm I'm the one who you've been looking for. Uh, I'm the Messiah. He says, so that you can know who I am and that he hath power on earth, notice, to forgive sins. He saith to the sick of the palsy, I say unto thee, arise and take up thy bed and go thy way into thine house. Notice, and immediately he arose, took up the bed, and went forth before them all, insomuch that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw it on this fashion. We never saw it on this fashion. The truth is, tonight, as many people uh, love new fashion, and some people cling to old fashion, uh, the the best fashion that we could have is God-fashioned. When God fashions away, people walk away and they say, We never saw it on this fashion. We never saw anything like this before. And Jesus is here, and uh, he's dealing with this man. I I think as we look at this text, it'd be hard to ignore the man, the men, the four men that were carrying this man to Jesus. Uh, First of all, as uh, we look uh, at these four men, they were deeply concerned, were they not? They had a care and a love and a concern for this man uh, who was sick of the palsy, I think their understanding is that Jesus could heal him. And so they believe that if we, brought, if we bring our friend to Jesus, he's going to get healed. If we bring our friend to Jesus, his needs are going to get met. I don't even know if they understood uh, the magnitude of his needs, if they understood that he needed salvation, if they even understood themselves. But the Bible tells us that these men, they had great faith, but they had great concern. And I'll tell you tonight that probably the greatest hindrance to us as believers in preaching the gospel is our lack of concern for other people. It's our lack of concern for other people. We live in a world that teaches us not to be concerned with anybody else's business. Mind your own business, right? Don't bother with anybody else. Don't, you know, why in the world would you, and, and by the way, I tell you, it's the difference between we were there in Africa and people receive you every time you come to the house, they give you a place to sit, they want to listen to you preach the gospel to them for an hour. And here you're lucky if if we can get them to open the door for a second so that we can say, hey, listen, just want to give you an invitation. And you're trying to give them a track before they close the door uh, because you're a lunatic and you should be minding your own business. Who are you to care about my soul? It's my business. That's personal business. We live in that world, don't we? Everybody's condition, their spiritual condition is their own business. But the truth is, is that what Jesus says to the church? 
Does Jesus say that everybody's spiritual condition is their own business, or did he give us that business? He gave us that business, didn't he? So whether someone wants me to care about their soul, whether somebody wants me to care about their salvation, whether somebody wants me uh, to be concerned for them or not, I shouldn't be hindered by someone's hardness. I should be helped in looking at the, uh, the, the Lord Jesus Christ. And even if somebody else doesn't care about their own soul, I need to care for them. I need to be concerned for them. I think some people, they look at Christians and they hear what we say and they see us going to church and they see us concerned with our own families and our own business and what we do. And uh, listen, we live in that world. Listen, you come into church, you, you shut up, you sit down, you don't talk to anybody, you leave quickly so nobody can talk to you. I mean, that's kind of the, the good old-fashioned Catholic way, right? I mean, don't bother with anybody else and don't let anybody bother with you, but that's not the church. That's not the church. The church is supposed to be concerned for one another, but we're supposed to be concerned for the lost that are around us. And if you're not careful, and I'm not careful, what I find myself doing is only caring for myself, my family, and my church family, and not caring for anybody else. You with me today? That's, I mean, that's what the society has programmed us. Just don't care about anybody else. But we need to care for them, don't we? Uh, this afternoon, and by the way, I've been asking the Lord. This is one thing over this last, I'll share it with you because we're done. But the last 21 days, I've been praying, God, revive my spirit towards evangelism. God, revive my spirit towards soul winning. God, revive my spirit towards uh, sharing the gospel with people. It's not easy to do, but you know what I find is when I do it, people are, are refreshed to think that somebody actually cares about them. I pulled up uh, on the parkway, I was headed up to the hospital this afternoon, and, and the man pumped my gas, and I was really kind of impressed because he didn't just pump the gas. You know, that guy that washes the windows? And this was that guy. Boy, he was happy about it too. I mean, he was like whistling while he was working, and he was washing the window, and I was looking for cash because I wanted to say thank you to the man, and I only had, I had a stack of change in the middle. I think I had like 3 or $4 in change. I grabbed as much as I could. I put it in his hand. I gave him a gospel track. And I said, listen, I thank, I thank you so much for being happy about doing your job. You encouraged me today. And he just kind of looked at me. He was like, wow, you know, that's kind of neat. And I, and I said, listen, do you know how? He said, oh, yeah, I go through all there all the time. I said, would you come visit my church? I said, I want you to come. Be my guest. He said, oh. And he looked at the gospel track. He said, I'll come. You know, I think some people would just think, oh, they're just not going to come. They're just not going to care. And I said, look at the message on the front. Jesus saves. I want you to think about that. Jesus saves. He does. And, uh, and she said, yeah, I'll look at it. I'll read it. I thought, boy, we need to be more conscious, more concerned for people. Are you with me tonight? Because I find myself getting cold. I mean, it's easy to do. We get cold. We get callous. Uh, we think nobody wants to hear the message that we have. But is the message that we have worth telling? Is the message that we have worth sharing? Is the message that we have, does it, does it make a, a, a life a change if they'll believe on that message. Absolutely. It's the greatest message that people could hear from us. They don't need our compliments as much as they need uh, an understanding that we are concerned for their souls, that we love them, that we're concerned for them. Notice these men, they were deeply concerned. How do we know they were deeply concerned? Because when they got to the circumstance that was a hindrance to them coming to Jesus with their friend, they get to the place. Come on, are you with me? They get to the place, talk about the 80% rule. We've been talking about that a lot as a church. The house is full. So they just decide, well, I guess we'll just pack it in and we'll try to find Jesus another day. No, they said, we didn't come here not to see Jesus. We came here to see Jesus. I, I think, boy, they were carrying that guy for a long ways. 
I don't think that it was an easy thing to do, whether he was light or heavy. I don't think it was an easy thing for them to do to carry him on a bed. And here they decide, we're going to go up to the roof. We're going to pull away. We're going to pull away. We're going to, just, we're going to do some damage to this guy's house. Notice their faith. They just said, whatever it takes, we'll pay for the roof to be recovered. Uh, we'll do whatever we have to do in order to make this thing right. But we're not leaving without getting our friend to Jesus. I think tonight, if some of us had that kind of mentality, we'd see more people come to Christ. Come on, you and I, we do a great job at making excuses. Uh, we sometimes, when we sound like the men that were bid to the wedding, uh, I've got property, I married a wife, uh, I've got family responsibility, uh, I had a child, I had this, I had that. You know, we all, have, we all have something going on, don't we? We all have something going on. But here's the truth. There's people around us that need to hear the gospel, and we can either make excuses or we can do what we've been left here to do. And a lot of times I find myself making excuses. How about you? Just making excuses. uh, I like what Curtis Hudson said. He said, the only alternative to evangelism is disobedience. It's the only alternative. We either do what God called us to do in preaching the gospel or we disobey God. And there's no other there's no, other, uh, there's no other choice to make. Either we're doing it or we're not doing it. And it, it really, um, I'll tell you, the worst way to evangelize is doing it because you have to. Doing it just because, oh, this is what I got to do. Got to put in my time. Got to show up. Soul winning. Got to do this. Gotta... It is the worst. And I've done it. And I'm sure you have too. We just have to show up. Listen, the best kind of soul winning you and I can do is, is comes from a genuine love and concern for the lost. You know what we need to pray for tonight? God, give us a genuine concern and love for the lost that are around us. You know, people just want to know that you care. They just want to know that you care. They don't really want to hear your message until they know that you care. A lot of times we just want people to hear our message, but we might have to take some time showing them that we actually care about them. We actually care about them beyond just having one conversation with them. Notice they were deeply concerned. Notice they had faith. They had faith. You know what I find myself in, in, in when I'm not sharing the gospel the way I should? I'm, I'm being open about this last 21 days and what I've been asking the Lord to help me to do um, is that, uh, and I had opportunity while we were in Africa to lead people to Christ and I had opportunity today to lead that lady to Christ. But I'm, I'm telling you, um, I'm failing because I'm not, doing, I'm not taking every opportunity I should. And I'm not, I'm not just trying to, 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 be, to give you happy talk tonight about, yeah, we should all tell people about Jesus, and I know Easter is coming up, but do we believe the gospel or not? Because if we truly believe the gospel, the Bible says that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. And we understand that word, that word power means, uh, I mean, that it comes from the word, uh, the Greek word from where we get the word dynamite. And I tell you tonight, when a stick of dynamite goes off, people know. There's great power. It changes the room, doesn't it? it, it, it uh, dynamite is it has destructive power. The gospel has positive life change power. It takes what is already destroyed and it makes it new. It takes what already is damaged. It takes what already is death and it brings life to it. And that's what the gospel does. It has life changing power, but we have to believe in the gospel because the truth is tonight, if we don't believe that there's a hell, we won't tell people about Jesus If we don't believe that the gospel changes lives, we won't tell people about Jesus. If we don't believe there's a heaven, we won't tell people about Jesus. You say, well, of course, I'm a Christian. I believe all those things. But that belief ought to affect our behavior, shouldn't it? 
it should affect how we act and interact with people. And, uh, you know, some of us have to start believing that God put us in someone's life to share the gospel with them. Anytime that God places me in a relationship with a non-believer, I know I'm in that relationship to share the gospel with them. You say, well, I'm in that relationship because we work together. No, you're in that relationship to share the gospel with them. You're in that relationship to be Christ to them. You say, what, what are you talking about? Well, are any of them actually going to ever see the, the risen Christ? They're not going to see him. So where do they see him? Are we not his hands? Are we not his, are, are we not his mouth? Are we not uh, the body of the Lord Jesus Christ? Aren't we his body? We are the body of Christ. And he says, hey, listen, they should see me in you and how you live your life. And what did Jesus do when he had an audience? Well, he preached the word to them. He gave them the word. He He offered forgiveness to them. Do we have forgiveness to offer? Absolutely. If you're a recipient of forgiveness, you have forgiveness to offer. The greatest thing about the gospel is I've been forgiven and I can forgive everybody because of it. Here's here's the thing. A lot of times we'll say, I I can't forgive. No, if if you've received forgiveness from God, you can forgive. I didn't say it's easy to do. I didn't say it's easy to do. Was it easy for Jesus to forgive us? He had to go to the cross to do it. Was it easy for him? No, it wasn't easy. But can we forgive? Be you kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. Why do you think God gives us that command? Because he knows we're going to hurt each other. Because he knows we're going to sin against each other. So anybody who's been a recipient of forgiveness can forgive. You say, well, I just can't. I just can't. You can. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That can't just be a slogan or a plaque on your wall. That has to be the way that you live your life. And forgiveness is possible to every believer because of the fact that we've been forgiven. Have we been forgiven tonight? God's forgiven us. Let me ask you a question. What has he not forgiven you of? He's forgiven us of everything. So he says, forgive, even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven. Notice Jesus offered forgiveness. They had faith. How about this tonight? Here's another point. They did not simply pray about it. They did not simply pray about it. They put some feet to their prayers. They didn't simply pray about it. They put feet to their prayers. Are you with me? If that man born of four was a member of some churches or was a relative of a member of the church, listen, some of that man might have still been back at home laying down because the people in the church might be, well, we're praying for him. Well, we're praying for him. Come on. A lot of times, we're praying means I'm not, I'm not willing to do anything. I'm not willing to do anything. Does God want us to put feet to our praying? He says, he says for us to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Has God given us the responsibility to go? So why are we praying that God sends someone else? Oh, I hope they hear the gospel. Well, if God put them on your heart, you think maybe he put them on your heart? because he intended that you would give them the gospel? You know, nobody is going to care about the people that are in your circle of relationships like you are. Nobody's going to care for them. I mean, you can tell other people, we can ask other people, but I tell you tonight, the people that you're concerned with the most, nobody else in this room is going to be as concerned as you are for those people. And if you have that concern, what are you doing to get that person to Jesus? We can't just stop at prayer. Listen, you're saying, well, isn't prayer, does it matter? Yes, but at the end of the day, you know, there's been times where God, when I'm praying, has told me to stop praying and start doing something. You with me? Have you ever done that? I prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed about something, and then finally, 
God just finally got through to my thick skull of my stubborn will and said, you know, you could stop praying about that and actually do something. I'm praying that God will help me to grow. But if you don't read your Bible, listen, if you don't read your Bible, then you don't really want to grow. Well, I'm praying that God will give me deliverance from this sin. Well, if you don't stop doing it, you're never going to get deliverance from it. How many know that? I mean, it, it's, sometimes it's, it's time to stop talking and start doing something. And sometimes as Christians, we, we uh, kind of happy talk it away with, I'm praying about it, I'm praying about it. But what are you actually doing? Uh, you know what, can I say something to you tonight and to myself? Anything God's already told you to do, you don't need to pray about. I don't need to pray that God would make me a better soul winner. I just need to be a better soul winner. I mean, I prayed about it, and then at the end of the day, if I keep praying, oh, God, help me to be, but then God keeps bringing people to me, and I'm not telling them about Christ, that's my problem. That's not the fact, hey, lift up your eyes and look on the fields for their white already to harvest. What was Jesus saying to those people? Why was he saying lift up your eyes? Well, maybe they had their heads bowed and their eyes closed. You with me? Too many Christians have their heads bowed and eyes closed, nobody looking around, and Jesus is saying, would you get up? Would you lift up your eyes? Would you look on the fields? They're white already to harvest. Hey, my house is full. My fields are empty. Somebody needs to get out and do some work. I mean, the harvest is plenteous. The laborers are few. Then he said this, pray ye the Lord of the harvest would send forth laborers through his harvest. But I think the intention there is that also that you would be a laborer. You know, the best way for you to pray for laborers is to start laboring. It's to start laboring. God, help someone else to do this job. No, God, help me as I do the job and then bring somebody to help me with the job. God, help me as we do the job. You know, the the worst thing I could do uh, as a pastor is pray that everybody in the church will start being a soul winner. You know what I need to do? I need to be one. I need to be one. I I don't need to say, well, I hope everybody else gets a heart for, for souls. I need to start having a heart for souls. You know, some things are better caught than taught. Soul winning is one of them. When people start seeing others get saved, it's contagious. We want to be a part of that. Hey, listen, there's nothing more encouraging to me than seeing people get saved and baptized and added to God's church. It's the most encouraging thing I think the church can experience. People giving their hearts and lives to Jesus. Notice, they were deeply concerned. They had faith. They didn't simply pray about it, but they put feet to their prayers. How about this? They did not permit difficult circumstances to discourage them. How many times as as Christians are we doing this with God? Well, the circumstances are just too tough, so I can't do it. Boy, I I just can't, I just can't, I just can't. And we're making excuses. And uh, God's told us what to do. God's told us how to do it. God's told us where to do it. And then we're just acting like we didn't get any instruction from God. One of the most frustrating things for someone that gives instructions is to have the people he gave the instructions to act like they don't understand. It's one of the most frustrating things. I think God sometimes must be frustrated. I'm glad he's God and I'm not because I'd be so frustrated with me. How about you? I just told you what to do. I gave you a whole Bible. I gave you the instructions. I gave you my spirit. One of the most frustrating things God's given us all the instructions. He, give, he gave us the power, didn't he? Pray, uh, pray, stay here and pray until you be endued with power. Did that happen already? Do we need to Acts chapter 1 
No, we don't need to do that anymore. Do we need to go up into the upper room and pray that we'd be endued with power from on high to go out and preach the gospel? Can I share something with you? The comforters come. The Holy Spirit's here. So the Holy Spirit's already entered into you the moment you got saved. You don't need to pray for power. You just need to use the power you've been given. There's so many Christians are saying, well, once I get filled with the Spirit. You know when you get filled with the Spirit? When you start doing the works of Him that sent you. That's when you get filled with the Spirit. When you're doing the work that Jesus sent you to do, you're filled with the Spirit. When you're not doing the work He sent you to do, you're not filled with the Spirit. You're full of yourself. And so am I. A lot of times Christians, well, I just need to pray about it. I just need to pray about it. Listen, there's a time to pray and there's a time to work. And I think the church of the living God needs to get back to work. And when it comes to uh, soul winning, when it comes to sharing the gospel with people, notice they were deeply concerned. They had faith. They didn't simply pray about it. They put some feet to their prayers. They didn't permit difficult circumstances to discourage them. Let me ask you a question. What excuse do you and I have tonight to where we know somebody who needs the gospel and we haven't shared it with them? What excuse do we have? We really don't have any, do we? Except for the fact we just haven't opened our mouths and shared the gospel with them. And what's, what's our greatest circumstantial excuse? Usually it's just, I'm afraid they won't listen. Why don't you give it a try? What's the worst that could happen? You know, at the end of the day, if you present the gospel to them and they don't receive it, they could never say that you weren't concerned for their soul. They could never say that you didn't care for them, that you, that you didn't love them. You say, well, I don't want to think I'm weird. I don't want to think I'm strange. You know what I think it's weird? If you have the solution to someone's problem and you don't share that with them, I think that's weird. If we have the solution to what people... Listen, there's people that are dying and going to hell tonight. They need Jesus, and we have the answer, but we're sitting here inside of, uh, you know, underneath... Underneath uh, uh, our, 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 you know, our nice roof and our, our nice buildings, and we talk about God, and we preach about God, and we sing about God, and then we leave here, and we don't talk about God out there. What's wrong with us? We can talk about God all we want in here, but it's only going to make a difference when we talk about Him out there. Listen, some people, they, they say, well, I'm done now. I, you know, I did my three to thrive. I came to church three times a week. We prayed. We sang about God. We talked about God. Now I don't need to talk about God anymore. The greatest place that you and I can talk about the Lord Jesus Christ is where people haven't heard his name, where people don't know him. They need Christ tonight. Maybe you've got a mom or dad or a relative or a coworker or a friend tonight. I'm trying to encourage you tonight. They need the gospel. They need the gospel. They didn't simply pray about it. They didn't permit difficult circumstances to discourage them. You and I, listen, I wonder if we were one of the men carrying this man to Jesus. When we saw the full house, would we have said, well, can't get him in. We'll have to come back another time. I'm glad they didn't. And I'm sure at the end of the day, they were glad too. Because you know what? Not only did this man see the Messiah and believe on him, but these four men also, Jesus saw their faith. He saw their faith. You know, they believed on him too. They all went away. Listen, five men trusting the Lord Jesus Christ. Saved, born again. Boy, I, I think, listen, it was an easier trip back and not just because they weren't carrying the bed. Think about it. This man was carrying his own bed on the way back. You imagine seeing the people on the journey, they're carrying, it would have been intriguing watching them carry this man along the road, along the way. But could you imagine noticing them on the way back? 
They're carrying this guy. He can't walk. And on the way back, he's carrying his own bed. He's walking with them. I mean, what in the world happened to this guy? Well, the Lord Jesus Christ, he saved them and he changed them. And notice it was a noticeable change that happened in his life. They didn't permit difficult circumstances to discourage them. How about this? They worked together and dared to do something different. They worked together and dared to do something different. One of the greatest hindrances to church ministry is the amount of people who say it can't be done. It can't be done. Or how about this? We won't do it. We won't do it. You say, how do we say that? By our lack of participation, we say it can't be done. By our lack of participation, we say we won't do it. You know, a lot of times, week, week after week after week, you say, why are you asking us to bring people to church? That lady who I witnessed to came to our church one time at the invitation of someone, one time, three years ago. And today, on her deathbed, she trusted Christ because somebody cared enough, she said, to give her a gospel track, invited her to church. She couldn't talk. She wrote the name of the church on a, on a piece of paper. Her daughter went on the internet looking, called this morning, and she said, you might not remember my mom. I said, I remember your mom. I have her name on my desk. I said, I've prayed for her. She was on our prayer list. I don't even know how she got on our prayer list. Somebody in our church put her on the prayer list. Somebody cared about her. Somebody got her here. You know, at the end of the day, that woman is, has a home in heaven, is a child of God, has passed today from death to life. And all because somebody cared. Somebody cared. You know, today, me getting to win, uh, lead her to Christ, God gave the increase. It didn't have anything to do with me other than the fact that somebody cared for this person and got her to Jesus. Got her to Jesus. You say, well, what if they won't come? You'd be surprised. You'd be surprised. There's some people I'm praying about tonight. I'm praying God saves them. There's some people, boy, I, I went... You know what I love? I sat down and got my hair cut this week, and I went to give a gospel track to the barber. And they pulled out from the drawer a gospel track from somebody from our church that already gave him an invitation, and again said, I already got invited, and I'm coming. I'm coming. You go there too? And they showed me that it had two different ones. Somebody had given them. Somebody had given them. Listen, keep giving them out. Keep sharing the gospel. And by the way, that's a, you know, gospel tracts used to be creative evangelism. Now they're just commonplace. People are used to getting things. I think we need to be a little bit more creative. A little bit more creative. You say, what can we do? Why don't you ask God? What can you do to get someone's attention? You know what I tell you what you shouldn't do? Don't go to a restaurant, sit down and have somebody wait on you for two hours. And when it comes to paying the bill, don't give them a tip, but give them a gospel tract. I tell you, that is the reverse of creative evangelism. That is turning people away from the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't be like that. Don't be the jerk. Listen, don't be the jerk who, when somebody pumps your gas, treats somebody bad and then gives them a, give them a gospel track. Listen, don't be, that's the reverse of creative evangelism. You say, what can I do? Well, you've got to love people. That's hard because people are hard to love. But they got to know that we love them. They got to know that we care for them. They got to know that we're concerned for them. You know, one thing uh, that I've learned in going to someone's house, one of the greatest ways I can diffuse uh, something, and I'm trying to help you tonight in inviting people for Easter and next week and all these things, just ask them, is there anything right now in your life that I can pray for you for? 
anything. And often what I'll do is I'll pray for them right on the spot. You know how much that impacts people sometimes? They just, they, oh, you're going to pray for me? You, you're, you care, about your, care about my needs? Absolutely. Listen, it's one of the greatest things that we can do. Listen, be kind to people. Love people. Show, go out of your way. Why is the world all about paying it forward and Christians are all about being stingy? Especially when it comes to sharing the gospel with people. You know, they work together and dared to do something different. You know, if we're going to reach this area for Christ, we've got to dare to do something different. Different. So what does that mean? Well, we have these events. We try to go to these things. I know next week we've got, we're going to a nursing home service. We're going to these different places. You say, I don't have time for that. I don't have time for that. Well, in order to tell people about Jesus, you have to make time for it. Just like anything else in your life. You have to make time for it. And I'm telling you, you'll regret one day not making time for it. This is the greatest thing that you can do with your life. Make time for it. Uh, we've got times where we go out together. And I know that not, not everybody can come to all those times, but I think more people could. You with me? I think more people could. I'm not saying that everybody can, but I'm saying more people than are what are doing. Well, I really like my Saturday mornings and I like this and I like that. Listen, I like them too, but I'm telling you, if we're not doing it, we're disobeying God. And God's called us as a church to do it, and there's no substitute for it. Uh, they work together and dare to do something different. Jesus rewarded their efforts. Jesus rewarded their efforts. You know what I believe tonight? That if we be a church that concerns ourselves with others, that has faith in the gospel, that is not willing to let circumstances hinder us and make excuses when it comes to sharing the gospel with people, that's willing and daring to do something different, that Jesus will reward this church for our efforts. I believe that. But you know what I know will happen? God is not going to bless a group of people who don't care to share the gospel with the people around us. We can't be a church in name only. A church in name only is a group of people that come together, call themselves a church, but they don't do what a church actually is called to do. We're called out assembly. We're called out of the world and we're called to share the gospel. We are called to do that. Are you called? Listen, none of us have to say tonight, I'm not called. All of us are called. All of us are called. You say, well, pastor, you're called to preach. Every single one of us is called to preach the gospel. Every single one of us. There's not a one of us that can make an excuse and say, well, I'm not called. We are all called. Uh, and by the way, listen, share it everywhere you can. Uh, I will say this tonight. Don't let the internet be your substitute for sharing it face-to-face with people. And some people, they say, well, I'm, a, I'm an internet evangelist. <laughs> Listen, if you sit in front of a computer all day and you share the gospel, but you won't tell someone face-to-face, you're not doing your job, and neither am I. We should tell it everywhere we can, but I'm telling you tonight, we've got to do better in this area as a church. I'm trying to challenge you, challenge me, trying to share this with you. I think every single one of us, if we're being honest, I'm done tonight, and I know that's probably the best news you've heard. But I'm I'm telling you tonight, if every single one of us was really honest with ourselves tonight, and I'm asking you to be, imagine that, honesty in church. If every single one of us was honest tonight, we ask ourselves a question, are we truly sharing the gospel the way that God's called us to in his word? Are we doing it that way in our lives? I think all of us would say there's room for improvement. There's room for improvement. See, God knows this. That's why he reminds us over and over and over again that we need to do it. I'm not trying to guilt trip you tonight. I'm not trying to beat you up. But remember that person I asked you to put in your mind and your heart. This is what I want you to do tonight. 
The invitation is really, really simple. I want you to come and pray for that person, whoever it is that God's placed in your heart. And then I want you to determine that you're going to put feet to your praying when you leave here. So we're going to pray for them, but then we're going to go and we're going to tell them. You say, well, how is that going to happen? That means that you and I are going to have to have enough courage to actually talk to them about Jesus, to give them the gospel. You say, well, I'm afraid to do it. Listen, don't let fear keep you from having faith in the gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit is God's putting in. You say, well, I need to attend a class. No, you don't need to attend a class. Listen, I never see anybody in the, in the Bible that Jesus dealt with that got saved that needed to attend a personal evangelism class in order to go out and tell people about Jesus. You know, I've seen personal evangelism classes ruin more people than help them. I'm just being honest. Uh, there's people in this room that went to Bible college personal evangelism classes, and you have all the tools and tricks of the trade, but if you're not sharing the gospel with people, who cares? Who cares? Really? We could have as many conferences as we want on the Great Commission. We can preach about it Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. But if we don't put feet, if we don't do something about it, then it's no good. I'd rather have somebody go and do it wrong if you can than not do it at all. If God has used this ministry in any way to be a blessing to you, please take a moment to send us an email to info at opendoornj.org. Also, if you would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so online at opendoornj.org. Thanks for tuning in.